0: Well, as it's already been said this morning, thank you so much for being with us. It's great to see you here. And now we're turning uh, our hearts and our minds to God's word as we return back to our series uh, through the book of Philippians. Um, we're going to begin chapter 2 this morning of that wonderful New Testament letter. Uh, and just by way of context, maybe it would be helpful uh, just to answer three quickfire questions. Um, so these are, are fairly straightforward questions, yet they, they help us to see some of what we've been enjoying through this letter so far. So who wrote this letter? This letter was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, where is he writing from? He's writing from uh, prison or certainly house arrest in Rome. Uh, and what have some of the key messages been or lessons in this letter so far? Uh, well, we've seen Paul's prayer for the Philippian church. and uh, We've seen his encouragement to, to, to keep themselves focused on the gospel and everything that they do and um, how they can be confident in that gospel, whatever the circumstances are that they find themselves in and, and how all of their lives should be lived in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, even if that is suffering for that gospel. And undergirding all that has been uh, that has been seen through chapter one so far is the, is the essence of our, our series title: that God, through Paul's pen, and let's not forget that that Paul is the human author at work here, but God is the ultimate sovereign author, divinely inspiring Paul as he writes these letters. And so, God is encouraging the Philippian Christians, and therefore. All of us by his uh, His divine preservation of his word by bringing it to us now. He is God is encouraging his believers, his followers, his children to nurture deep roots of a joyful faith. Uh, and we've seen that time and time again, uh, that Paul's joy is overflowing as he writes this letter, even though the circumstances that he finds himself in are anything but joyful by human standards. But that's because Paul's joy is not based in anything human. Paul's joy and the roots of his life and his faith and his hope are deeply embedded in the reality of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And therefore, because that wonderful truth is everlasting and eternal, then Paul can know a lasting, eternal, unshakable joy, those deep roots of a joyful faith. Uh, And we're going to see Paul mention joy again here as we begin chapter 2. But before we dive too deeply into that chapter, many of us may be familiar with this chapter. Uh, As you turn there in your copy of God's Word to Philippians 2 and and glance down, you might notice some uh, recognisable words about Jesus, particularly in the first half of this chapter. You can see in verses 5 to 11, depending on your translation, it will even be uh, structured slightly differently than, than prose, normal prose in your text. But you can see 5 to 11, we have some of the most beautiful and poetic descriptions of Jesus Christ that we can read. Uh, and we rightly reflect on these often, and indeed we will do as we turn around God's uh, the Lord's table later on in our service. But those, those verses from 5 to 11, they are rich and deep, and we should enjoy them as much as we possibly can. They are verses and words to take slowly, to meditate on, uh, because they, they show us so much of the glory of Jesus Christ. And for those of us who may find ourselves familiar with those words, there's a risk that we don't take time to delight in what God may be wanting to reveal to us through them. And so as we come to chapter two, we we can feel a familiarity and the the, the, the danger is that we skip too quickly through this chapter. And I must confess that I felt a different temptation when I turned to chapter two in Philippians to prepare for this morning. And that, that temptation wasn't to skip over verses 5 to 11, the, that wonderful description of Christ, but rather the temptation was to jump directly to it and thereby miss the first four verses. Uh, assuming that these first four verses are just introduction, they're just preamble to the main bit. But no, the, the, these four verses at the start of chapter 2, they are also God's word to us and i believe it'd be right for us this morning to purposefully slow down through this chapter just like we slowly moved through chapter 1 let's slowly move through chapter 2 and so this morning we're just going to look at verses 1 to 5 and then next week we'll look more intently at verses 5 to 11 now obviously they are intrinsically linked they flow together uh, and the reason they flow together is because actually there's a there's a a, a great emphasis on the theme of humility through this whole first section and so we can see this song, this poem of Paul's that he writes of Christ from verses 5 to 11 is very much singing the praises and drawing our hearts to recognise the humility of Christ that, that preceded his glorification. But but that those verses don't stand alone. That song of Christ, that celebration of his humility doesn't stand alone. Paul actually is led in his mind under the Spirit's inspiration to write those words about Christ because he's been encouraging the Philippian church to be humble in their attitudes to one another. In fact, we see that in verse 5 so clearly. This is the hinge. In your relationship with one another, we read this in Philippians 5 verse 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. The the song goes on from there, but it doesn't start in isolation. It doesn't start starkly out of nowhere. It flows from a discussion on, on the humility that should be shown in the Philippian church's relationships with one another. And so this morning we're going to think deeply about that call to humility but before we do so let, let, let let's pray and then we are going to read the first 11 verses and then as i said we'll dive into just the first four or five but let's let's pray as we come to God's word father we thank you for your word we thank you for your inspiration of it we thank you that it is divinely sovereignly authoritative for ever, it it contains everything we need for life and faith and And godliness, and so we pray that as we turn here this morning, would you show us more of yourself this morning, Father? Would you show us how you would call us to live this morning? Would you, would you draw us deeper in our walk with you and more rooted in our joy in you that you offer? Thank you, Father. May your words speak clearly through through my mumbles and my words. May you speak and touch our hearts this morning and let us not leave unchanged by encountering your word uh, under the presence of your spirit. So we thank you, Father. And we pray your blessing upon us. Amen. Amen. So let's let's read the first 11 verses of chapter 2 together. Here's Paul writing to the, the letter to the Philippian church. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, God's blessing to us from his word. And so we we can see these 11 verses. It is a celebration of the the work of Jesus Christ. It is a celebration of his incarnation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his glorification. And as I said, we're going to focus on that second section next week. But for this morning, let's enjoy these first four verses. And primarily, as as they show us the train of thought that leads Paul to that great section of praise of Jesus. You see, this, this celebration of Jesus, as I've mentioned, is about his humility. And it comes in the context of Paul encouraging the church to be humble in their relationships with one another. As we've already read, we see in that, that link in verse five, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And so base, how, Paul is saying, God is saying, base how you relate to one another on the example of Christ. And Christ's example is Humility. And so, as we, as we uh, focus our attention on, on the first four verses this morning, we need to recognize this underlying theme of humility. Namely, why is humility so important in the church? But also, what does it look like practically within the community of faith? Why is humility so important and what does it practically look like? Well, to very briefly answer that first question, why is humility so important in the church? Well I think we can see from these words and elsewhere in scripture indeed um, previously in chapter 1 of this letter we've seen that humility is important in the church because it is one of the keys to maintaining unity humility is one of the keys to maintaining unity remember paul's been writing to a group of christians here who are experiencing suffering for their faith they are living in a in a they're living in a world that is markedly different in terms of the societal values than the Christian godly discipleship values in which they're trying to live out. And into that setting, God through Paul has been reminding them of the need to remain focused on the gospel together, to grow in their faith together, to share the message of Jesus together, to live out radical lives of faithful discipleship together Indeed we could summarise all that looking at verses 27 and 28 of chapter 1 where Paul writes whatever happens conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened by those who oppose you. And so one of the reasons Paul writes the letter to this church is to encourage unity And I believe God continues that purpose for us today. He wants his church to remain united. And one of the keys to enable that unity is gospel-focused humility. And so why is humility important? Well, it promotes and it nurtures unity within the family of God. We'll unpack that a little bit later as well. The second question that we posed there was, what does humility look like then in the life of the church and and it's this practical outworking and the understanding of what this actually, how this is framed within the context of a local congregation. This is what we see in verses 1 to 4. And, and I want to suggest that, that in these verses we see that humility, which fosters unity, is not something just theoretical. It's not something that, that sets up an ideal that is so unachievable that we can just ignore that teaching. No, humility that is spoken of here is humility that can be known with the clarity in our minds. It can be felt in the very core of our beings and it can be done through our actions and our choices. To put it succinctly, I think we can see these three things well in these verses and this will be the three, and this will be the structure for the rest of our time together. We can see humility that we can know in Christ, humility we can feel in our core and humility that we can do in community. Humility we can know in Christ, feel in our core and do in community. So, firstly, let's think of how we can know this humility in Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, Paul concludes chapter one of this letter by talking about the reality that suffering is there, but yet he goes on to speak here in verse one about encouragement, comfort, common sharing or, or fellowship, tenderness, or, or could also be translated affection and compassion. These realities, these truths are are some of what the believer needs to hold on to as the suffering comes. As suffering comes, we need to know the encouragement of being united with Christ. We need to know the comfort from his love. We need to know the fellowship with the Spirit, the tenderness, compassion. And these are truths which Christians need to know to be true in and of and for themselves if we're to stay the course of faith. And I just want to unpack some of those in a little bit more detail because it's easy to read through verse 1 at a canter and to read those comments, encouragement and with and being united with Christ, comfort in his love, sharing with the Spirit etc. It's easy to read through those uh, without pausing to reflect on what is really going on here. You see interestingly Paul starts this with therefore if you have any encouragement if you have any comfort if you have any common sharing if compassion and tenderness and uh, sorry tenderness and compassion but but that if is not a, is not a question it's not posed as if there's a doubt to whether those things are true some commentators have said that if could also be translated as because or since. There's, there's no doubt about the reality of encouragement, comfort, fellowship, tenderness, compassion. Paul isn't saying if you happen to know those things. No, it's, it's because you know, since you know those things. Uh, let me try to give you an example of how that works. Imagine you've just sat through uh, a speed awareness course. Uh, I don't know if anyone here has had that privilege, but um, imagine if you get to the end of that course and the facilitator could conclude that session by saying, right, okay, you, you've heard all this information. We've shown you the dangers of speeding. We've, we've sought to equip you with the tools to drive safely. So if you'd like to avoid immediate, immediate penalty points and a fine for speeding on the way home, then put some of this into practice. <clears throat> you see, the, the, the if there is not really, it's not really an option. If you, if you don't want penalty points and fine, then don't do it. Right, there is no question mark over whether that's the right thing to do or not. No, it's, there, there is no element of doubt there. There's no negotiating with the reality of that. If you don't put into practice what we have taught in that class, you will inevitably end up with a fine and penalty points later. And so Paul has is, is got that same thrust to the if, it's not a question, it is a, an assurance. It is it is calling the Philippian church and then us as we read it today, calling us to reflect on the reality, the assurance of these things and then live in the light of them. So as Paul says, if you have encouragement from being united with Christ, if comfort from his love, if sharing with the Spirit, if tenderness and compassion, we should know these as wonderful certain realities for us as Christians. There is encouragement from being united with Christ. There is comfort from his love. There is fellowship in the spirit. There is tenderness and compassion. And so for these things to be listed like this way, we're meant to read them and say, yes, yes, yes. But as I said, I just want to pause here for a minute and go back to that, this list in chapter one. or Sorry, in verse one. You see, we don't have time to to do it in depth for for each one of these clauses, but can I encourage you to meditate on the elements that Paul lists here? For example, I just want to unpack for a minute what it means to have encouragement from being united with Christ. We're just going to look at that one example, but I'd really encourage you to go back and look at all of those different phrases. Uh, Think about the comfort of his love. Think about the fellowship of the Spirit. Think about tenderness and compassion. What do those things actually mean for us as believers? And, and as I came to think of this through, when, when we think about encouragement from being united with Christ, what I did was uh, just on, my, <clears throat> on an online platform, I simply searched uh, within the scriptural text. I searched for phrases um, like in Christ or with Christ. Um, and, and that's a relatively simple thing we can do. You may even have a cross-reference point in your Bible if you have a cross-reference Bible, uh, which is a wonderful tool to help us see the, the glory of all of Scripture and how all of Scripture uh, is linked and helps interpret itself. And it's a wonderful tool. But but if not, some of the apps that you'll have on your phone will have a search function. Um, places like Bible Gateway or ESV.org will allow you to just search directly for these phrases. And so that's what I did. I I put in phrase the phrase in Christ or with Christ and here are just some of the encouragements that we should take from being united with Christ. Okay, so this is just a list from some of Paul's other letters. This isn't everything that came up. And so all I'm going to do is give you the reference and on the screen you'll then see uh, the thing that is the source of encouragement from that verse. <clears throat> So let's begin with Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ. So the encouragement for being united with Christ is redemption. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Where's the encouragement? We are in Christ Jesus, which brings eternal life. Romans 8, 1, there is, now, there is therefore no now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What an encouragement that is for us. Some of us are sitting here this morning feeling completely beat up by ourselves, by our sin, by Satan. We are feeling downtrodden by guilt and shame. So we need the encouragement that comes from being united with Christ, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What an encouragement that is for us. Yes, of course, we live, we seek to live faithful lives of the discipleship. Yes, of course, we bring our, our confessions before our Father. But there's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because we stand in grace. Romans still staying in Romans 8.39 We have that wonderful passage at the end of Romans talking about the love of God and and Paul concludes by saying that nothing essentially will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We can know the love of God because we are in Christ. Second Corinthians 5.17 Therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold the new has come. Galatians 3.26 So in Christ you are all children of God through faith. In Christ you are children of God. That is what your union with Christ brings. And the final one that we'll look at, Ephesians 2.13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We were once far off in our sin, in our depravity, under God's wrath. But no, now we have been brought near by the blood of Christ because we are in Christ. So if there is any courage, encouragement in Christ... Yes, there is boundless encouragement from being united with Christ. And exactly that same assurance and that joy can be found by searching Scripture for those other phrases. Comfort in his love, yes. Fellowship in the Spirit, yes. Tenderness, compassion, yes and yes. And so go search the Scripture for some joyous, wonderful encouragement. But what's the, what's the point in bringing this assurance to bear on our hearts and mind? Why, why does Paul start verse 1 like this? Uh, well, well, I think it's because that as God is compelling his people to live in humility, he's showing us that the only way in which we can do that is by recognising who we are in him. You, you see, we are only under the benefit of any of the glories of Christ because of purely and solely because of what he has done. And so if there's any part of us that believes that we are in any way deserving of our place in God's family due to our own merit, then we automatically eradicate the potential for humility with one another. If if we think that we have something to bring to the table so that God looks with favour upon us because of something great we have done, then that will automatically set us up with pride against our brothers and sisters. No, it is only in Christ, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. It is only in Christ that any of us can come to be part of God's family. And therefore, when we recognise the encouragements that come with being united with Christ, the comfort from his love, the fellowship from his spirit, his tenderness, his compassion, then we realise that it is grace we have received. And it is only in grace that we stand. And therefore, we can be humble together. I was was struck by this wonderful quote uh, from Stephen Lawson in this regard. Let me read this quote to you. For a believer, humility is the most foundational of all Christian values. No one struts through the narrow gate that leads into the kingdom. No one high steps their way down the narrow path. We are sheep, not peacocks. (laughs) I love that. Servants, not sovereigns. If Christ is to fill our lives, we must empty ourselves. If Christ is to increase, we must decrease. Helpful thoughts, they're challenging thoughts from Stephen Lawson, but and recognizing these encouragements from being united with Christ through his death and all of those other things that are mentioned in verse one. Like I said, it leads us to humility, humility before the Father, that he would accept us on grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. How else can we come to him but on our knees? And therefore, we humbly welcome, embrace and encourage one another as brothers and sisters, knowing that we are equal in Christ before our Father. And so here we have humility that we can know because we are in Christ and Paul saying to the Philippians then, because of what you know, he goes on to say in verse two, if you have uh, if you have any of these things, then make my joy complete by being like minded. Let's have a look at verse two here because now we're going to move on to see how we can consider humility, uh, how the, the humility that we know that in Christ, how that then changes how we feel in our core, humility that we can feel in our core. And we see this, as I said, in verse two, but verse two flows on from verse one. So let's read those two verses again together. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. And so again, we can see how that attitude of humility being lived out by believers will lead to unity those two realities are tied together. Um, But but the point I wanted to highlight here is based on Paul's assertion to the church in verse 2, to be like-minded, to have the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. See, these things, they are internal compulsions for each individual believer, which will then lead to an outward demonstration of humility. So being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, these are issues of the mind and the heart of the individual. They're the core of our being. Paul is compelling the church In Philippi to be united at that core level to be therefore driving in the same direction to be fueled by the same thing because we know the humility of Christ in us we know who we are in him we are servants of him and so as we gather with our brothers and sisters we long to serve him together we will be like-minded having the same love being one in spirit and of one mind because we are driven by the gospel driven by Christ Now, of course, being like-minded, being of one mind, does not mean that every Christian will always think the same about everything with every other Christian. Of course not. But what it does mean is that the main thing is the main thing for every believer. Paul's already shown this, hasn't he, in chapter 1 of this great letter in verse 18, when he said the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. See, the main thing is the gospel and the spread of the gospel. It is the focus for Paul. He's encouraging it to be the focus of the Philippian believers. It is the focus of all of us. The main thing for us at our core is to feel the compulsion to the gospel, to feel the compulsion to share the gospel. And so gathered around that godly goal with our brothers and sisters, we can know unity of purpose. Now, of course, in church life, there will be times when things are done in ways that we wouldn't choose in our preference. There are things that that aren't done that we think should be a higher priority. But can I say that as as, as long as God's guidance is being followed, as long as what is being done is focused on the gospel and its spread, then there may well be times when each of us will have to lay down our own preferences and display humility because we feel at our core that the gospel is being preached, the gospel is being shared, the gospel is the goal and so although it may not be what I would like to do right here, right now, it is for the good of the gospel and for the good of my brothers and sisters and so I will humbly get behind them. Now now let me also be clear, differences of opinion are welcomed always. Please share them with us. If there is a burning desire in your heart, please share it. If there is a frustration with how things are going, please share it with us. The elders are here to, to support, to shepherd, to, to to nurture. Please share that with us. But recognise that for each and every one of us, there will come times when our personal convictions have to submit to others. But as long as that core is maintained of the gospel, if at any stage the gospel is compromised, then that is a time to speak up. That is a time to challenge. That is a time um, to say, hang on a minute. But if there is the the single-minded focus on the the gospel and the spread of the gospel, that is the like-mindedness, being of the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, then we can rejoice because that is a dimension of humility that we can feel in our core. So humility we can know in our mind Humility or sorry, humility we can know in Christ, humility we can feel in our core, and finally then verse three and four flesh out what this expression of humility looks like. In other words, humility we can do in community. Verse three and four, let's read those together. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not look into your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. See, here's what, what we're, shown. we're shown. We're shown true, genuine humility. And we're shown that by contrasting that humility to its opposite, to, to selfish pride. So, so one option in verse 3 and 4 is selfish ambition, vain conceit. One option is, is looking to your own interest. But the other option, the rather, is valuing others above yourselves, looking to the interests of others. And it sounds simple, doesn't it? it? Sounds starkly obvious, actually. Of course, we would want to be people described in that rather category. We'd want to be people valuing others above ourselves, looking to the interest of others. We want to certainly be part of a community of faith that is full of people doing that. But, but but it's not straightforward. Sure, it's not. It's not as easy as it sounds. It it doesn't come naturally to us. And and that's exactly the point. That way of living, that humble service of others can only come about in our hearts because of God's natural, supernatural power. Remember how we treat one another, what we do in community flows out of an assurance of who we are in Christ. It's what we know, which drives the purpose of our entire lives, what we feel in our core and therefore we live that out by doing in community. What we know affects how we feel, which determines how we act. Doesn't this sound like head, heart, hands? What we what we know in, in in who we are in Christ determines how we feel and where we what drives the core of the priority of our lives, which therefore determines the actions, what we do in community. And so we can see that this humility that we're commanded to display here is indeed intensely practical. just think about that. Think about verses 3 and 4. This is not a a theoretical ideal. This is a command of scripture which should take place. This is not an optional extra for believers to, to, when it suits, treat one another in humility. Or, Drew, when it lines up with your preferences, then serve one another. No, no, no. Verse 3 and 4 again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but looking to the interest of the others. Value others above yourselves. Look to the interest of others. That is a challenge, yes, but what a joy that is to be part of a community of faith like that. Alistair Begg helpfully shows us what this might practically look like, but he also challengingly explains why this is so vital for us. Uh, Here's Alistair Begg's words. If we are to be unified in Christ, we cannot insist on our own way. Instead, we need to count others more significant than ourselves, which is the ESV rendering of that verse. This means that we remind ourselves of the best in others before thinking of ourselves, that we are quicker to ask what would be best for others than what would be most convenient for ourselves, and that we are willing to enter into the lives and struggles of others rather than standing aloof. Beg concludes that paragraph by saying, when we think of ourselves first, it is difficult to Impossible, in fact, to put God's word into action. Those words are challenging, aren't they? They're costly. It it involves laying down my preferences, my time, my finances, my personal comfort, maybe. It means we open ourselves up to one another in in safe and trusting ways, of course, yes. But to take this command of God seriously means vulnerability. How how can we know the, the needs and interests of others if we don't share them together? How can we value others above ourselves or, as the ESV says, count others more significant than ourselves if we keep one another at arm's length? How can we humbly serve one another with spiritual nourishment and refreshment and encouragement if we don't share our spiritual lives with one another? Now now I realise that 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 level of vulnerability and openness with one another sounds immediately enticing for some who long for that, that level of depth and community. And yet for others, you're ready to run for the hills because this sounds intrusive and it sounds terrifying. And I understand that we're certainly not going to impose anything on anyone. However, we would love this community of faith here in Gilnaherk Baptist Church to be a place where we encourage one another spiritually, where we serve one another when we're in time of needs, times of need, where we're willing to take those relational risks to further and deepen our walks our, our our relationships with each other, knowing that that opens us up for the potential of being disappointed in people because people are people, but we do that, we take those relational risks because we also know the joy that God has created us to relate deeply as brothers and sisters to one another, and so that depth can only be known when there 's openness. so can I encourage you to prayerfully consider what it means for you for me? to do humility here in community together. Maybe that means that you very intentionally take conversations over a cup of coffee to a deeper level, that that, that rather than just, how's your week been? These are good conversations, by the way. How's your week been? How are the kids? What about work? What about that family situation you mentioned last week? Those are good conversations to have. But then, why not, as brothers and sisters together, say, can can I pray for you here now as we stand with a coffee cup in our hand? Or Or, what's been encouraging you this week if you have been spending time in God's word, or what what challenges have you faced? Have you tried to pray this week? Let's take those conversations deeper. Maybe that's what one option for you maybe maybe that this level or this understanding, this idea of doing humility means committing to a life group together and and serving one another more, so that that communication goes way beyond just a fortnightly gathering. That, that, that even when we're studying together, gathered to study the Bible together, we're, we're deeply connecting it to one another's daily lives. Serve one another well in life groups. Maybe another example is to, to cook or to buy an extra portion of dinner and stick it in the freezer in the back hall there so that we have a, a giant bank of food so that if anyone is having a difficult time, we are ready and willing to respond. Equally, if you're having a difficult time, Go and look in the freezer and take a meal. Just just do it. Don't don't ask for permission. Just take the meal. It's yours and we we lovingly give it away. Or the final example I want to give is is perhaps praying that, that God would lead you to, to two, three other people here who you could meet with, approach and ask, look, would you how how would you feel about meeting monthly, maybe fortnightly? And studying God's word together, praying together. I know some of us do that in life groups, but actually, maybe this is even more deeper, even more deep with with two other individuals, and and you join a triplet. and Don't wait to be invited. Let's instigate. There are loads of examples. The point is to take God's word seriously here, to value others above yourselves, look into the interests of others because remember as verse five directs us, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And what did Christ do? He stooped to earth. He laid down his sinless life so that we, while we are, were still sinners, could be saved from that sin and its eternal penalty when we come and ask for his forgiveness and repentance and faith and we turn from that sin and our sinful state is removed, it is eradicated and his sinlessness is, is transferred, credited to us and so we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. See, that is what Christ did, that's what his humility won for us. So we serve and we worship and we seek to emulate this suffering saviour, this loving father, this glorified Lord and this humble king. And he calls us to live that life of humility after his example. And that humility, as we see here from Philippians 2, 1 to 5, that humility is humility we can know in Christ because of who he has made us to be. It is humility that we can feel in our core which drives the, the very um, engine of our lives and it's humility that we can do in community as we love and care and serve for one another, as we value one another more, more than ourselves, as we look to the interests of others. Oh, we need God's help to do this, don't we? We need God's help to, to fight that, that sinful pride and that selfishness that, that, that rises up in us regularly. But God's command is clear in your relationships with with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And he is willingly offering his spirit to help to tear down that old sinful self, to tear down our own preferences and to enjoy the richness of deep community life together as we humbly serve one another. And we pray his help for that task and ultimately that he would be glorified as we, as his people here, live out this faithful life of humble discipleship that he's called us to. So let's pray for his help.